This is Dr. Stan back here at Radio Liberty, coming to you from the hills overlooking beautiful and picturesque Monterey Bay and, and bringing you the news behind the news, the story behind the story, hoping to convince you that reality is usually scoffed at, illusion is usually king, but the battle for survival of Western civilization, it's going to be reality, not illusion or delusion that's going to determine what the future will bring and I have to remind you the views that are expressed here are not necessarily those of the owners, management, staff, sponsors, or supporters of the station you're listening to. They happen to be my views, and, well, for the next hour, they're going to be the views of Dr. George Fletchis, who's a uh, doctor who practices back in the Carolinas, and, of course, he has some fascinating information on iodine, and, of course, first time I ever heard of that, I thought, well, there, there couldn't really be a problem with iodine and in our country. Uh, certainly, we have iodine salt, and and we used to have iodine shortages, but no longer. And then as I began to hear him and listen to him, and then, of course, talk to other people who I trust and did a lot of research on this, and then I started taking the iodine supplement he began talking about. I noticed the difference in the and the trigger in the actual uh, and the contours of my own skin, and I suddenly began to realize, of course, what he's saying is absolutely right. Uh, that the average person in America is not getting sufficient iodine. It's one of those trace elements we should have, and they've taken it out of our milk. They've taken it out of our bread. They've taken it out of a significant part of our salt. Uh, and of course, why would they do something like that? Well, Dr. Fletcher, thank you so very much for being with us this afternoon, and I'm just going to let you go ahead and begin to explain to our listeners why we should be concerned about iodine in our diet. Well, you know, uh, when you go back and look in, in history, you'll find out that uh, back in the 1800s, one of the problems that we had up in the Great Lakes region of North America was that of goiter. Uh, that's an enlargement of the thyroid gland at the base of the neck. And if you go to an area like Akron, Ohio, Buffalo, New York, Milwaukee, Chicago, Detroit, 56% of the people who lived in that area 100 years ago had problems with goiters. And um, goiter was one of the first illnesses that we discovered that we can reduce or get rid of uh, when uh, you substitute back into the diet uh, the use of iodine. And it was in goiter patients that they, uh, in Akron back in about 1927, where they started giving iodine to children, and they noticed that the incidence of goiter went down dramatically. Uh, in today's world, if you give iodine, it's usually on the salt, and most people will probably eat about 150 micrograms of iodine per day just in the iodized salt. And um, <clears throat> the incidence uh, with that, the incidence of goiter in the United States has been low. However, recently we're discovering that about 50% of American women are cooking with salt that contains no iodine. And in fact, uh, and because of that, then the incidence of goiter is starting to climb back up in the population. 
of interest is, is that uh, when we looked at the incidence of goiter and then we looked at the uh, incidence of other illnesses, we saw that goiter was associated with a higher incidence of thyroid cancer, breast cancer, stomach cancer, ovarian cancer, endometrial cancer, and breast cancer. In other words, if you were short on iodine, you had this propensity towards developing these cancers more than the average population. Is that right? That's correct. And so uh, there's an axiom that has developed in the field of medicine. It's called the absence of iodine or the lack of iodine in the human body is a promoter of cancer. All right, you hold on, so we're going to be back here in just a moment as we bring some other stations on board. So if we repeat just a little of what you said, why, we'll want them to hear that as well. That's fine. Well, this is Dr. Stan here at Radio Liberty, coming to you from the hills overlooking beautiful and picturesque Monterey Bay. I guess this afternoon is Dr. George Frest Pletches, and we're talking about iodine and the fact that so many Americans do not get sufficient iodine. At one time, iodine was in all of our salt. It was in our bread. It was in our in our milk, and that has been removed. Most people don't understand that an awful lot of Americans are not getting sufficient iodine. They may not have a goiter. Uh, they may not have cretin children, which are, of course, manifestations of hypothyroidism. But iodine is essential uh, for proper metabolism of almost every organ in the body. And certainly, if you don't have enough iodine, why are you going to have a tendency towards an increased incidence of cancer? In fact, in countries where they have... Uh, sufficient iodine intake, such as Japan, where the incidence of cancer is much lower, whether it would be cancer of the breast in women or cancer of the prostate in men. But I'm going to let George Fletcher, who's our special guest today, a physician who practices in the Carolinas, uh, tell you about this because he has accumulated a great deal of, I think, very important information. George, please go ahead and, and carry on with your conversation. Well, you know, the uh, thing that we've discovered is, is that the absence of iodine turns out to be a promoter of cancer, so that um, the lack of iodine in those tissues that have the highest ability to absorb iodine uh, promotes cancer in these tissues. Uh, of interest is, is that the thyroid gland has the ability to absorb iodine, but it also has the ability to hang on to it whereas a lot of other tissues can absorb iodine, but they don't have the mechanism to hang on to it. Illustration here would be as the human skin, um, 20% of all the iodine in the body sits inside the skin. Lack of iodine, the skin um, starts malfunctioning, and you'll see problems with decreased ability to sweat. In fact, I'm going in a few weeks to Los Angeles to the Cancer Control Society meetings, and I gave a lecture there probably a few years ago, and there was probably close to a 1,000 patients there who had cancers in all categories. And I made this statement that the absence of iodine uh, shows up as a symptom of not being able to sweat. And probably around 250 people came up to me and sat there and said, uh, that was one thing I noticed four or five years ago before my cancer showed up was is that I all of a sudden lost my ability to sweat, and I haven't been able to sweat since then, and then I developed my cancer. So this, is, this seems to be a, there seems to be a very high correlation between the 
sweat mechanism. Hold that, hold that yeah. thought right back there. And Chris, Dr. Fletcher is, uh, is talking about the fact that in the skin, uh, when the, you do not have adequate uh, iodine, you have lost your ability to perspire or to sweat. And, and this is one of the things that people, so many people, of course, who, who have cancers and other things, they cannot perspire properly. And is this a, uh, a sign that they're uh, low or deficient in iodine? Go right ahead, pick the story up there. Because remember, for our listeners out there, you must understand that the about 20% of the iodine in the body is contained within the skin. Certainly it's contained, we talk about the thyroid, but most of the other tissues don't have the ability to, uh, to hang on to iodine. That's why you have to keep constantly replenishing it. But it is essential for proper function of many of the organs of the body. And most people, uh, the majority of people in America today, are iodine deficient. Go ahead, Dr. Fletcher. Right. Uh, so, you know, there's a story out there about uh, we, knew, we know that iodine is crucial towards normal health. In fact, you can't even make thyroid hormone without uh, having enough iodine. And in the United States, we're suffering with an epidemic of hypothyroidism. And um, <clears throat> one of the things that we've noticed is is that, um, you know, there was a story about how during the, the days of Napoleon, he invented uh, the can so that you can can peaches, can fruit, etc., and it would take almost 100 years later before somebody figured out how to make a can opener. In this particular case, we've, we discovered that iodine was very crucial towards new, uh, human health, but it would take almost 100 years before we finally figure out the mechanism about how the iodine is being absorbed. And it turns out that this absorption capability is through a a protein in the membranes called the sodium iodide symporter. And these symporters are like channels where iodine can get absorbed into the thyroid, and that's how we absorb our iodine there. Of interest is, is that the absence of iodine in a cell is a promoter of cancer. But, you, you know, the question would be is, is that if you can increase the absorption of iodine into a cell, will that uh, limit or will it slow down a cancer? And there were some studies done right there at UCLA where they took some mice and they induced in them a thing known as small cell carcinoma, uh, oat cell carcinoma of the um, lungs in these uh, animals, and then they took a retrovirus, something like the AIDS virus, and they stuck in the uh, virus the genes for the uh, for making the sodium iodide symporter. They then took the lung cancer, infected it with this retrovirus that contained the sodium iodide symporter, and then they took and uh, gave the animals that contained cancer <coughs> that um, with the sodium iodide symporter. They gave these animals iodine. And within, within 24 hours, they noticed that the cancer cells started to die. And by increasing the absorption of iodine into cancer cells, you all, uh, it turns out that iodine is toxic to cancer, whereas they looked at other tissues in the body, and they found that there was no death occurring in normal tissue. 
normal tissue can tolerate plenty of iodine with no problem, but cancer cells, uh, if exposed to cancer, the, uh, I mean to iodine, the cancer cells all of a sudden start going into instant death. And so it pretty much uh, it's showing us at this point that the reverse of that coin says if you take iodine that it, it can kill cancers. And so more studies need to be done along the way to show that this is exactly the mechanisms by which we can help the body to generate, you know, to get cure of cancer. Well, now, you're not suggesting, though, that iodine is a cure for cancer. Would it perhaps uh, tend to keep it from forming? Because actually, of course, people are always forming cancer cells in their body. Ordinarily, their normal immune system takes care of it. But uh, when we get to a certain point, the immune system can't take care of it. Why? That's right. Then it tends to, it tends to grow and break out, That's and right. this is why there's such a, a very high incidence of, of cancers. You realize yeah. here in the United States today, one of every two men will get a cancer of some sort, one of every three women will get a cancer, but we did not see that a hundred years ago in the early part of the last century. Why it was one in 33 people got cancer, and now it is one of every two men, one of every three women why is that happening? What can we do? We keep talking about treatments and chemotherapy and surgery and radiation, but what about prevention? Don't you think that is really where we should be putting I our think, emphasis? You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, iodine is more of a preventive element and uh, not so much for therapeutic uh, things. I think in the future, uh, with our understanding of how iodine works, that we will probably be making... Uh, iodines that are of radioactive iodines that can be used for treatment of cancers and so on. I, I don't, you know, say at this point that we're looking at a cure, but at least we have a mechanism as to how we can help prevent it. And the thing is, is for the population at large, we really, really, really need to work on getting the. Um, prevention of cancer under better control because, as you said, you know, if a man doesn't die from uh, a heart attack, he'll probably die from prostate cancer. So this thing with cancer is becoming increasingly a major problem in the population, and we need to do things to try to slow it down as much as possible. Amen to that. And of course, the one thing is that, uh, that we are not emphasizing prevention of cancer. And, and nobody wants to talk about why we have so much more cancer today than we've had before. But certainly you don't see the incidence of cancer in the Japanese that you see here in the United States, do you? That's true. You know, in fact, uh, if you look at Japanese women, the incidence of uh, among the women of the world, the Japanese women have the least amount of breast cancer the least amount of ovarian cancer and so on. And that's people, you know, and we're talking about people who are living in a land that's been nuked with uh, radiation and radioactive isotopes and so on. These, you know, the Japanese are walking on, in territory that has a lot of radioactive material. And yet, with their intake of iodine, the Japanese eat almost 13.8 milligrams of iodine per day. And with their intake of iodine as high as it is, the rates of cancer in Japan are among the lowest on the earth. In fact, because basically, because they don't have a lot of pasture land, so they don't have a lot of beef there. They eat primarily fish, and they eat a lot of kelp, and they eat a lot of seaweed, and things that contain a great deal of iodine. And, of course, the average American is not doing that at all. 
we spend our time eating meat and and all the other things that because we have of course an entirely different topography we've got great plains and uh, but of course we also notice that uh, they have a much lower incidence of cancer than we have here in the United States the question is what part does uh, taking the iodine have uh, you know on the uh, differences in the diseases what about fibrocystic disease of the breast my understanding is that in areas that where of course women get an adequate amount of iodine they don't get the fibrocystic disease of the breast that American women do is that That's correct true and in fact uh, in my particular practice I probably have uh, close to five or six hundred women with uh, fibrocystic breast disease in the United States this problem is uh, affects probably 94% of all American women. And for our viewers, uh, this problem is basically a problem of breast pain that's usually cyclic, and it happens uh, uh, as the hormones fluctuate uh, during the menstrual cycle and just prior to that. And that as these hormones are altering the topography of the body, then the women start suffering with a lot of pain in the breast tissue. And uh, there was a surgeon up in Canada who discovered that uh, if you give these women iodine, that it helps not only to reverse the scar tissue, the nodules, the uh, pain of the breast, but that the actual breast on mammograms and the x-rays show that the breasts actually look better. So... His name was Dr. Ghent, and uh, he's, he died a few years ago, but uh, his partner, Dr. Bernard Eskin, who teaches at uh, Drexel University in, in Philadelphia, Dr. Eskin is still alive, and he uh, can pretty much vouch for a lot of these studies that have been done, showing that iodine has the ability to uh, get rid of a lot of the changes in the breast that occur in the presence of iodine deficiency. Now, recently, Dr. Askin published a paper uh, looking at the incidence of estrogen, and what they found was is that iodine goes down to the genetic level, down to the DNA, and it helps to turn off the... Uh, uh, it seems to modulate the making of estrogen inside the body. So that um, they now have estrogen modifiers such as tamoxifen, which uh, is used to try to decrease the incidence of breast cancer or even to decrease its ability to be expressed in the body. And it, again, uh, interferes with the estrogen uh, uh, receptors uh, inside the body. And now we know that that, uh, iodine helps to decrease the total amount of uh, estrogen production at the genetic level. Now, of, you know, of interest is, is that uh, if you have a woman that's going through the menopause and she's stable on a certain dosage of estrogen, that when you put her on iodine, all of a sudden she starts having the hot flashes again, suggesting that the uh, the estrogen metabolism is definitely being altered by the presence of iodine. All right, hang on there. We're going to be back here in just a moment. Uh, our guest is Dr. George Fletcher. We're talking about uh, iodine, iodorol, it's an iodine preparation, uh, which, of course, I and my wife are taking, and a uh, number of our listeners take it as well. 
We'll talk just a moment about its benefits. George, go right ahead. What we have uh, discovered is is that uh, we were giving iodine in the sense of Lugol solution uh, at the very beginning, and uh, we had uh, about 20% of the patients who were taking Lugol solution were having problems with gastric irritation. It was irritating their stomachs, and uh, we were working with Dr. Abraham out of uh, Torrance, California, and uh, he's the maker of iodorol, and he was able to figure out a way to get that iodine into the body at 100% absorption and uh, very little irritation to the stomach, and uh, that has been a major blessing to most people because I tried the Lugol's myself, and uh, it agitated my stomach a little bit. Didn't feel too, you know, too good with it. But with the iodine pills that are now available on the market, that definitely has uh, makes it a lot more tolerable. We used to uh, take patients and uh, put iodine on the skin as a way to find out if they needed iodine, and uh, sometimes you could. Uh, put some iodine liquid on the skin, and within a period of uh, 15, 20 minutes, all the iodine would have disappeared. It's as if the skin was behaving like a sponge, and it just absorbed a lot of this stuff. And studies that have now been done have shown us that about 93% of the iodine evaporates off the skin. 7% actually makes it into the body. But the fact that it disappears so quickly would suggest that the body is just behaving like a sponge to absorb all this iodine. And we've always thought of iodine in the sense of thyroid disease. What we did not know was is that you need iodine for normalization of the ovary. In fact, uh, just as you give iodine to the thyroid and you make thyroid hormone, you need uh, iodine for normal ovarian function to help the ovaries produce the steroids and the chemicals that are necessary to run the female body. In fact, I've talked to uh, some GYN endocrinologists who have used iodine to um, regulate PMS in women, and we have, and I've seen it in my own practice where you take a young teenage girl that's starting to have menstrual cycles and it's very agitated and irritable uh, that when you give her iodine, by the time the next menstrual cycle kicks in, they all of a sudden are a lot more domicile and a lot more easier to work with and not as irritable uh, because of the fluctuations in the hormones. So PMS turns out to be a disease that tends to uh, modulate itself and get better in the presence of uh, teenage girls taking, or even women, taking iodine. But again, the ovary is second to the thyroid as far as a tissue that can absorb large amounts of iodine. problem with the ovary is, is that it cannot hang on to it, whereas the thyroid can. Now, because of that, you have now learned that the ovary not only makes steroid hormones, but we now know that the ovaries actually make thyroid hormones. So the thyroid hormones not only made by the thyroid, but also ovarian follicles can do the same thing. 
All right, fine. Well, of course, uh, hang on there for just a moment. We're going to bring other stations right back on board here with no George Fest Fletches. Well, this is Dr. Stan, and of course, um, uh, George uh, was just saying that, of course, the, the over really requires thyroid, and he's noticed, and a number of people have noticed that women who have a lot of agitation and irritation uh, uh, during their cycle of uh, pre-mental uh, premenstrual stress uh, seem to uh, leave it, it tends to level out their their emotional response and they don't get as um, uh, upset as they would under other circumstances as their hormones fluctuate another thing was uh, the fact that uh, it has been found that the ovary actually the follicles in the ovary actually can produce thyroid hormone you know especially when they have inadequate amounts of iodine in the in the, in the system and this is one of the big things of course Sydney, the uh, Japanese are taking about 13.5 milligrams per day. We're taking, what, about uh, 125 micrograms? How much does the average individual get the way of, of iodine here in the United States? It's, a, it's about 125 to 150 micrograms. Right, okay. And so, so basically we're eating almost 100 times less iodine in our diet uh, than what the Japanese are in their diet. Okay. You know, just recently I went to Bangkok and I flew through uh, the airport in uh, Tokyo, and I noticed that when they would service soda crackers in the uh, in the airlines, that the soda crackers had uh, you know seaweed in them. I noticed that uh, even in Japan that they have uh, gummy bears, but they also have gummy bears with iodine in it, and basically the Japanese uh, you know was seaweed. And basically, the Japanese have made it uh, so that iodine permeate or the seaweed permeates in through their whole society, through all the different snacks and foods that they eat. And uh, I've been a longtime proponent that we not only need to teach cooking schools of teaching people how to cook low-fat, high-fiber uh, dietaries, but we need cooking schools nationwide where we teach our population how to do sea cooking with seaweed. I mean, there's about 20, 30 different types of seaweed, and we just uh, need to teach our population how to become more marine vegetarians. And because, of course, it's the iodine in that that's so important. Is that right? That's right. And that's, you know, and that's where the Japanese have got the edge. And, uh, in fact, I just had a mother who took iodine through her pregnancy uh, she took the same amount as a Japanese woman would take, which would be this lady took like a 12.5 milligram tablet, and her baby at three months is already doing things that a six or seven month old baby is trying to do. In fact, uh, she told me that she tried to teach the baby how to do a high five and worked with it for about uh, three or four minutes walked away from the baby, came back about 30, 40 minutes later, put her hand up, and the baby immediately knew what to do to put its hand up and try to play high-five with her. So, I mean, and this is a child that's three months old, you know, so I can imagine uh, what Japanese mothers are having to go through when they got these extremely intelligent children that uh, due to the uh, presence of iodine in their dietary throughout their whole pregnancy. And, in fact, uh, I think in Korea... One of the things they, as soon as a mother uh, gives birth to a baby, one of the th things that Korean grandmothers like to do is make a special seaweed soup for the mother that just gave birth to the baby so that uh, there's going to, quote, be plenty of iodine inside the mother's milk, 
you know, for the nursing of that child. The absence, uh, this was just uh, published like uh, four or five years ago, the absence of iodine in early pregnancy is felt to be a source as to why people develop attention deficit disorder. In fact, uh, in the last, well, from about the year 2000 through 2005, there was a 500% increase in the uh, development of attention deficit disorder in the United States. But a lot of it, we think, it goes back to 20, 30 years ago when these people were being born, and there was very little iodine in the human diet. And as a result, um, we find that the absence of iodine in early pregnancy becomes a precursor for people going on to develop attention disorder. However, if you give iodine during early pregnancy, you end up with some extremely smart kids. And uh, you, can, you can influence the next generation of human beings on, in America by giving these you know, children that, or the mothers that are pregnant iodine because you will end up with children that have an IQ that's anywhere from 10 to 20 percent. Uh, points above what the average in the population is. But certainly of the, uh, most doctors aren't giving iodine to their pregnant women, are they? No, because they think, you know, and this is ironic. In the United States right now, most physicians think that if you give iodine to a woman, that the baby's going to be born with a goiter. Or, you know, and you go back in history, it, we were giving iodine to get rid of goiter. And in today's world, if you talk to most endocrinologists, gynecologists, pediatricians, their thinking is, oh, you need to hold, stay hold away that from thought. We'll, hold that thought. We'll be right back here. Well, this is Dr. Stan back here. Our guest this afternoon is Dr. George Fletcher. We're simply talking about iodine and the benefits of iodine and the and the problems that arise with deficiencies of iodine. So you pick up the story there, Dr. Fletcher. Uh, what we discovered is, is that uh, uh, probably 100, 150 years ago, one of the first diseases that literally we were able to break the back of this illness uh, was the use of iodine to get rid of goiter. And in today's medical world, a lot of gynecologists, pediatricians, um, endocrinologists think that if you give iodine to a person, they're going to get a goiter. And it's, it's the irony of American medicine that something that saved our populations from dec you know, being decimated by goiter and cancer, that something that saved the population is now being considered to be the source of the same problem. So it just kind of shows you where American medicine has gone and where it's going back to, you know. And the thing is, is that, you know, if you look at uh, the absence of iodine in the thyroid, you get a goiter, and then you go on to develop cancer. The absence of iodine in the breast, you get fibrocystic breast disease. And about four or five years, about three or four years ago, in the New England Journal of Medicine, they published that women... Uh, that had problems with fibrocystic breast disease had a much higher incidence of development of breast cancer. Um, they also noticed that people who had goiter uh, had problems with esophageal cancer, stomach cancer, 
and the absence of iodine in the thigh, in the stomach produces a stomach that has no acid production. Just as you have no sweat production in the skin with the absence of iodine, you produce no acid in the stomach. And the ovaries, uh, the absence of iodine in the ovary, you get problems like you see in the breast. You see cysts, nodules, scar tissue, enlargement, and uh, pain, and we call that polycystic ovaries. And uh, you see the same thing in the thyroid. You see the same thing in the breast. Cyst, nodule, scar tissue, enlargement, pain, and all of these uh, medical problems. You know, and patients who have polycystic ovaries, uh, by the time they get into their late 40s, early 50s, they start developing problems with ovarian cancer. But, of course, there can this in any way be reversed by taking adequate doses of iodine. And I think that's the uh, the answer is yes, you know. And in fact, uh, you know, the first people to actually pick up on the relationship between iodine and ovarian function, iodine and breast hold hold that for hold that thought for just a moment there. Well, Dr. Pletcher was just pointing out that there seems to be a definite relationship between iodine and normal ovarian function. There seems to be a relationship certainly between iodine and normal thyroid function, also between iodine and the breast function. And if you have deficient iodine in the thyroid, the breast, or the ovary, well, you tend to get cysts there, and you pick the story up there, Dr. Pletcher. Actually, uh, the people who uh, showed us the relationship here were the Russians, uh, they knew back as early as the 1950s that the lack of iodine in the breast gave you fibrocystic breast disease, lack of iodine in the ovary, you got ovarian cysts. And they were the, among the first ones, and they published uh, in, their, in their medical journals back as late as the late 1960s that uh, a lot of these problems would disappear in the presence of taking iodine. So it was uh, very you know interesting to see how this one little mineral is helping to help so many medical problems that are in the population. But of uh, course, do, do most doctors recognize the relationship between, say, fibrocystic disease and, and iodine deficiency? Uh, no, because they're not keeping up with, the, with their own medical literature. In fact, uh, the way I became involved with this was is that there was an article published in the Journal for the American Medical Association back in the late 1980s, no, 90s, and in there they were talking about diseases that were showing up as trace minerals in the population were going down. And uh, the I noticed that they had just a little blurb, it was about a paragraph in there, and it said, We've noticed that as the iodine content of the population goes down, there's a higher rate of development of uh, fibrocystic breast disease. And Dr. Abraham read that also, and he, he and I sat there and said, I wonder what other diseases are associated with iodine deficiency that we're not talking about. What other tissues in the body are absorbing high amounts of iodine? And that's when we started looking through the literature and found out that there was a tremendous amount of literature out there. It's just not being reported in one location. And then you have certain segments of the um, medical community that are anti-iodine because they think it's going to cause goiter, and therefore they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. The medical boards in the United States 
are a go around slapping the hands of physicians who try to do anything that's in the natural realm. So as a result, you'll find that uh, your doctors, if you sit there and say, Doctor, what is your opinion about the use of selenium to help decrease the rate of cancer in the population? They'll sit there and say, I have no opinion. I have, you know, I'm not going to say anything about it because if he did and it was recorded, then he could also have his medical boards come after him because, quote, he's propagating some type of natural treatment when the physicians of this nation were trained to become, you know, physicians who take care of patients with medications approved by the FDA and so on. And we just forget that uh, 100 years ago, that's all we had was the natural herbs and natural minerals and natural things that nature provided, and that's what we use to treat our patients with. Well, you know, we offer people who do contact us an article written by Dr. Donald Miller, who's a professor up at the University of Washington. And in his article, he talks, you know, about suddenly if you're going to be taking a thyroid, you really should be taking magnesium and selenium supplements as well. Have you run into that concept? Yep, and uh, what ends up happening is, is that... Uh, the thyroid uh, takes four iodine pills and attaches it to a protein called thyroglobulin. Once the thyroid, the thyroid uh, and that's known as thyroid T4, uh, because there's four iodines attached to that thyroglobulin. Now, once the thyroglobulin, you know, the thyroid T4 gets out into a cell, whether it be the liver cell, the muscle cell, etc., then that um, the, one of those four iodines is removed, and you develop a thyroid T3. And T3 is the active, biologically active hormone that affects the DNA and affects the central nervous system and so on. Of interest is, is that the ability to take iodine off of thyroid T4 is the... Um, determined by the presence of selenium in the body. And uh, the lack, in fact, uh, in, it's, it's a very known, well-known fact that in those areas of the world where there is selenium deficiency, there is also a very high incidence of cancer. And um, we need selenium to help us have normal thyroid function. Now, the thyroid stimulates the sympathetic nervous system. That's the system that controls a fast heart rate or nervousness. And you need magnesium to help modulate the effects of the, of the thyroid T3. Also of interest is, is that uh, heart tissue uh, does not have the ability to take uh, an iodine off of thyroid T4, and heart tissue has, will only operate off of the thyroid T3 that's in the bloodstream. And so uh, people who have congestive heart failure and a lot of other problems with their hearts have noticed that, and this has been well documented in the medical literature within the last 10 years, that people, as you get older, there's less and less thyroid T3 and more and more heart dysfunction. And when you have plenty of thyroid T3, your heart operates a lot better and your problems with congestive heart failure go down. So this, you know, this concept of selenium and magnesium, very crucial 
And in fact, magnesium helps to slow down the ability of the body to make, or especially the heart, the ability of the heart to make abnormal heartbeats like PVCs and atrial fib and so on. And so magnesium, very crucial towards helping to slow down a potentially uh, serious problem of a sympathetic nervous system that may make people's heart go crazy, and so and especially abnormal heartbeats. So we tell people that uh, you know for longevity purposes, uh, one of the, one of the crucial things to eat is that of foods that are high in iodine. Learn how to eat seaweed. How to take as a supplement selenium. And, uh, and also take magnesium. In fact, uh, the chairman of the Department of School of Public Health at Harvard University, Dr. Walter Willett, has in one of his books uh, these exact recommendations that I'm giving you here because he finds that you get the, the best of bang for the buck and the best of health in the presence of uh, taking some of these minerals that, uh, that are being slowly subtracted out of our dietary because of the way we process our foods. I know my wife had a real problem with palpitations, cardiac palpitations, a heart racing and pounding, and, and of course they began putting her all these proprietary drugs, and, and she just went from bad to worse, all sorts of problems and emotional problems, and once she got off the medicines and started taking calcium, uh, magnesium, why her heart uh, uh, rate returned to normal. I mean, it was the most amazing thing in the world. So many times, of course, doctors don't really understand that because there's an organized effort to poo-poo the idea that something like magnesium or, or uh, selenium are important or that iodine is important. But all of these things are important, and we're not getting adequate amounts to our food. At one time, we used to eat a lot of fish. Oh, we can't eat fish now. It's got uh, mercury in it, and you know what mercury is going to do to you. Well, of course, you get more mercury every day from the fillings that you have, venting the, the dental fillings than you get from, from eating fish, but they don't tell you that. And so we've created all sorts of problems here for our people. It used to be that in the hospitals where I practiced, every Friday, the Catholic hospitals, we had fish. That was the way it was. They call it brain food because of the iodine in it. And people just empirically knew that you ate a certain amount of fish, you were smarter. We never talk about that sort of thing anymore. And, of course, we warn people and caution them against eating fish on a regular basis. Well, certainly... What's interesting is on that score is is that we're taking people off the big fish. But what we haven't talked about in the the nutritional arena is the fact that we can eat lots of small fish that have very little uh, mercury in them. So we can eat the small fish... And uh, do fine with those. It's just the big ones that are loaded with the mercury. Amen to that. And they never used to be loaded with the mercury. It's simply in recent years, of course, we've dumped all the mercury into the oceans that uh, the, the mercury level in the fish has increased so much. Well, certainly the, the, the Japanese, of course, live longer. Don't they have one of the longest longevity of any a group in the entire world? Yep. Uh, in fact, uh, there's, I think, uh, there's three groups. Uh, there's a Japanese group out of Okinawa. Uh, there is a group out of Sardinia in the um, uh, Mediterranean, and there's a group right there in Southern California. It's the Seventh-day Adventist group out of uh, Loma Linda, California. Uh, they, as a group, have had um, people who... Uh, lived to be in their 80s, 90s, and 100s. In fact, in my 
medical community here, the urologists uh, find it very fascinating that among the Adventists that are basically eat very uh, little animal products and eat a lot more vegetarian, and uh, that they have less problems with prostate enlargement, prostate cancer, cancers of all sorts. So, you know, there are, there are things that are going on. I think the Adventists would do well to learn how to eat more marine veggie vegetables, just like the Japanese do in Okinawa, which I think helps to increase their longevity as far as what's happening there. The people in Sardinia are teaching us that, you know, guys, life is just going to keep on going, and it's just slow down, enjoy it, take your naps, eat some fresh fruits and vegetables, and enjoy life, you know? Well, of course, that's the Mediterranean diet, which is probably yeah. related to the resveratrol, the, the red wine pill. And, uh, but it, we, that's an entirely different subject. Well, as far as the iodine is concerned, do you think there's any increasing awareness among the physicians of our country of the importance of iodine? And why, in heaven's name, did the government allow them to take the, the iodine out of our milk and out of our bread and out of almost half of the, um, the salt because it was put in there specifically for public health purposes and suddenly somebody, for some unknown reason, is, has allowed it to be taken out. I agree. You know, and the thing is, is that um, in North America, like right now, we have fixated so much on hypertension and control of hypertension that we are, uh, there has been a mandate that's been sent out by the AMA and other uh, medical organizations where they're sitting there saying, you know, we need to, within the next 10 years, uh, we need to cut the amount of salt intake in the population by one half. You look at these statements that are being made, and what's interesting is, is that we are not paying attention to the fact that the main source of iodine in this population is salt. And if you take away the salt or cut down on the salt intake in the population, like our, especially our population 60 years old and above, we're going to induce a major problem of hypothyroidism because, you know, and, and what's interesting is these people who are making these public health policies are not paying attention to the fact that where are you going to get the iodine if you take away the salt. As a result, if you look at geriatric information, you'll find out that hypothyroidism is responsible for at least 25% of the people who become senile. Senility is directly related to the absence of iodine because you don't have enough iodine, you can't make enough thyroid hormone, and thyroid hormone is what's stimulating that brain to stay active and go with it. So these are, you know, it kind of shows you where public health policy is being affected by us focusing in on just one thing, and then what happens is that we forget that there's other things that are going on that have to be that we have to pay attention to. Now, is there any advantage uh, or benefit uh, to taking more than 12.5 milligrams of uh, iodine a day, which is the amount that's in an iodorol pill? So, is there any advantage to taking more? Or do you ever prescribe more iodine? You know, the person who addressed that was Dr. Saint Gorky, Georgie. He was a Hungarian uh, doctor who. He's the guy who invent, he discovered vitamin C, and he's the one who taught Linus Pauling about vitamin C. But Dr. St. Georgie, before he was a vitamin C expert, was actually an iodine expert. 
and he was well acquainted with the medical literature from about 1850 through 1950, and in some lectures that he gave here in the United States in the 1950s, he mentioned that he and a bunch of other thyroid, I mean, iodine experts worldwide and their observations of people taking iodine felt that the healthiest people on the earth were the people who were taking around 62 milligrams of iodine per day. And uh, this is, you know, observations that were being made by these doctors who were just taking, you know, just taking care of patients out there. And, in fact, in a lot of cases, when they couldn't figure out what the medical problem was with the individual, one of the things that Dr. St. George used to say was the first thing we'd pick up is our bottle of iodine and try to treat it with that. He said a lot of times diseases would succumb in the presence of taking iodine. And, of course, uh, I understand, of course, that some of the people who are treat uh, fibrocystic breast disease, if it's extremely bothersome for women, especially during their cycle, that uh, you give them, what, up to 50 milligrams of, uh, of iodine a day? Yeah, we give them 50 milligrams a day, and within a period of three or four uh, two to three weeks, their breast pain is gone. And then can you cut back on the on the amount that you're giving them? Actually, no, because we need once they have the fibrocystic breast disease, we want to uh, reverse the scar tissue, the cyst, the nodules, and so on. And what we have picked up is, is that it takes about 50 milligrams a day for approximately three years and based upon mammograms and x-rays that we've done through my office, we've noticed that there is somewhere between a 50 to 90% reversal of fibrocystic breast disease in the presence of iodine. And I spoke to Dr. Eskin about it a few months ago at a medical meeting in San Diego, and he mentioned himself, he sat there and said, you're right. He said fibrocystic breast disease is reversible in the presence of taking iodine, but it takes a long period of time. He said so putting them on a 50-milligram tablet makes sense, and he said you should get faster resolution, better resolution. They should feel a lot better within a period of just a few weeks, and that's exactly what we're seeing. All right, fine. Well, of course, our guest has been Dr. George Fletcher, and we're talking about do you have a website you'd like to put out there at all? Yeah, we uh, have a website. Uh, it's called HelpMyThyroid.com. HelpMyThyroid.com, okay. And uh, we also have a website with my medical laboratory where we do uh, measurements of uh, the iodine inside the body, and it's called FFPLaboratories.org. Uh, All right, so, fine. All right, well, you hang on there. We're, we're going to be, of course, back here in just a moment to wrap up today's program. I guess it's been Dr. George Fletcher. I hope you enjoyed this program. We've had Dr. Fletcher on before. Always fascinating. Well, Dr. Fletcher, we've got three minutes for you to wrap up this afternoon's program. So, and I realize it's evening back there in, in yeah, the east where you are. But uh, what would the parting thoughts you'd like to leave for our listeners today? I think, you know, I, I need to encourage every one of us who are especially young parents or that can influence a pregnant woman to encourage her to get into the seaweed, get into taking iodine, because the offspring that she's going to generate are children that will be absolutely phenomenal. But until, uh, until we start getting involved in helping these women to realize the importance of iodine, 
we're going to do what's happening to our population now, and that is we're producing more and more human beings that have more and more problems with attention deficit disorder. And that, in turn, is causing a tremendous amount of medical problems in our population. So we can influence the next generation of, of Americans by influencing the pregnant ladies that are in the population now to take their iodine while they are pregnant. And, Chris, one of the things that you mentioned, and I found this myself when I took the, uh, uh, the iodine, was that your TSH, your thyroid-stimulating hormone, uh, seems to go up, and then the, the doctors look at you and say, oh, you're obviously hypothyroid because your thyroid stimulation, the TSH hormone, is up. What do you tell people when that happens? I tell them that that's a natural occurrence. TSH actually is stimulating the making of the sodium iodide symporter, and TSH, is, you know, for a person who is not taking iodine, elevated TSH, yes, indicates hypothyroidism. But somebody who's taking iodine, if the TSH levels go up, it's usually because the TSH is helping to stimulate the body to absorb greater amounts of iodine. Usually within six months to a year, if you go and you leave somebody on iodine, if you go back six months to a year later, you'll find that the TSH level has come down and the iodine saturation in the body's gone up. And of course, the whole idea is to saturate your tissues with iodine. I mean, you know, got the it. little tablet there, uh, 12.5 milligrams of iodine is a very small uh, tablet. Uh, but of course, it, it, these are trace minerals, but you need them and you don't have them. You're going to get in all sorts of problems. Would that be correct? That's correct. All right. Well, our guest today has been Dr. George Fletches, and he's done a tremendous amount of work. He's talked on talking about this across the country, and, and it's something increasingly that needs to be understood. And unfortunately, if we can't get the doctors to understand it, we've got to get the patients to understand it. But you've got to do the research on it, and of course, we'll be glad to help you provide that information for you. Dr. Fletches, thank you so very much for being with us. You Look are forward welcome. to having you again in the not-too-distant future. Okay. Bye-bye and God bless. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, that was Dr. George Fleshes. Well, this is Dr. Stan, and I do hope that you've enjoyed our program. And actually, we've had Dr. Fletcher's on before. And actually, you can get a copy of this talk today. Or better still, we have a four-tape set on iodine. We have my interviews with Dr. Fletcher's in the past, my interview with Dr. Blaylock in this subject, and uh, my interview with Dr. Donald Miller on this subject. Dr. Miller is a professor up at the University of Washington. He's a professor professor of heart surgery, and I heard him talk about this. I was fascinated. We actually, of course, carry um, the Iodorol. We think it's important. I take it myself, as does my wife. And then, of course, we uh, actually have, um, we provide for anybody who's interested, a a, an article by Dr. Miller, if you want to get that article, you want to get any of the other items, just ask for the article. If you order any of the things from us, we'll automatically send you Dr. Miller's article on iodine and giving you the background. He also suggests that if you're taking this, you need to be on magnesium and, and selenium, but you should be as well. And certainly we have a wonderful book on the miracle of magnesium. We think it's an important book. We take the magnesium on a regular basis. Certainly it's helped my wife as far as her palpitation, which of course the medicines they were giving her made it nothing but worse. But you have to understand, for instance, you go to other parts of the country where there's a shortage of selenium. 
these people get myocarditis. Their heart just quits functioning normally, and that's the most common cause of death in many areas is myocarditis from selenium deficiencies. Now, some places we do have selenium deficiencies in the United States. Most places we have enough selenium in the soil. But you need to understand all of these things you're going to have to begin to understand about your health. Certainly, we have the the book, The Miracle of Magnesium. And, of course, we do have a health catalog. uh, And listed there are all the medicines that Barbara and I take, or most of the medicines that Barbara and I take. And if you'd like to find out about them, we actually have, uh, we offer them through our ministry. And, of course, they are under the RL, Radio Liberty, uh, label. Uh, Actually, it's one of the finest companies in the country. It's a Christian company. They will not allow us to sell their product under their label, but we can put it under our label. But you go into any health food store, and that's what you're going to see on the shelves there, exactly the same product. So if you'd like to get our our catalog, and if you want to get them to us, it does help us keep Radio Liberty on the, um, certainly on the radio. And then, of course, our telephone number, 1-800-544-8927. One of the most frequently sold medicines in America today are the statin drugs which do nothing but harm you. We have a four-tape set on on statin drugs. And and most doctors have no idea uh, that uh, the large studies that they've done show it does absolutely no good, but it sure does a great deal of harm. And, of course, they need to get the four-tape set on statin drugs. We have a little short booklet on statin drugs. You need to read up on this and say, how could you possibly have sold the doctor such a lie? Uh, we have the large ads, full-page New York Times. And what does it say? 30% uh, you know, reduction in, in, in death if you take these pills. Well, what it really meant was that if you took the pills, why 2% of the people died? If you didn't take the pills, 3% of the people died. And somehow a difference of 1% uh, suddenly became a difference of 30%. And the old adage is statistics don't lie, but lo- or, or, the statistics don't lie, but liars can figure. Figures don't lie, but liars can figure, and that's exactly what they've done. And the doctors only look at that 30% difference. It's the difference between 3% and 2%, and that's probably related to the anti-inflammatory effect of the statin drugs. Billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars has been put out by the people for a drug that can only lower their cholesterol level and lead to all sorts of complications, lower the CoQ10 and actually lead to congestive heart failure, have an impact on the brain, lead to uh, certainly uh, types of fatal kidney disease. They know what they're doing. They just don't want the American people to, uh, to, um, to understand. Our number, 1-800-544-8927. If you'd like to get Iotarol, we do carry it here. And, of course, we think we take it ourselves. We wouldn't uh, be putting it out if we didn't. And, of course, we ask you then to go to our website, radioliberty.com. If you'd like a health catalog, we'll send it. That's 1-800-544-8927. And then please pray for Radio Liberty for our provision and our protection. <laughs> 